Hello, friend. Welcome to the Whole Word Podcast. This is Pastor Pitts Evans. On this podcast, we read and discuss one chapter of God's Word per episode. Let's go now to the Bible and see what the Lord has for us today. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he's grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we're not unaware of his schemes. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. In Paul's previous letter of 1 Corinthians, he was addressing a number of different things, including an individual who was involved in sexual immorality that was part of the church. And he had been, this guy had been sleeping with his father's wife, and we assume being sexually intimate with his father's wife. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said that even the pagans don't tolerate that kind of behavior. But somehow the the church there had allowed that kind of behavior and um, even endorsed it on some level. So Paul told them that they had to remove the offender from among them uh, for his good and for the protection of the body there, for his good in that he would come to a place of repentance. And so from this episode with the guy with sexual sin, primarily contained in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, we get the initial understanding of excommunication, which means to refuse communion, holy communion with someone, or to refuse extending holy communion to them. No communion with Christ, no communion with the body of Christ. And so the twofold purpose of excommunication was to bring the person to a place of repentance, 
was number one, and number two, to protect the body from sin creeping in, the local church body. There was to be no compromise with sin. So Paul told the early church in his first letter to put this guy out of the fellowship, and he writes them now and references those instructions. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, I wrote as I did so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. And so Paul speaks of this correction that he made to the church as being done out of love. And correction should always come with love. It distressed Paul deeply to have to do this. As he says, it anguished his heart and he shed many tears over it. But he had to tell them that accepting this uh, this guy in his sin, still continuing in his sin, was not the plan of heaven. That they needed to bring the man to a place of correction, and if he refused correction, to put him out of the fellowship. So indeed, they did apparently put him out of the fellowship, and apparently he repented, because Paul goes on to talk about restoration as we move through the letter. In verse 5, if anyone has caused grief, and I assume speaking of this a man in the sexual sin, he has not so much grieved me as he's grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. So apparently they acted on Paul's letter and established some kind of punishment. We assume put him out of the church was because that was what Paul had suggested. And now he says, Paul says now uh, that the guy has entered into some type of repentance, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he'll not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. And so I just want to pause for a minute. In churches frequently, well, not frequently, but occasionally, someone will come to the point where they refuse any kind of correction. They're blatantly in error, perhaps willfully being sinful and disruptive to a a church in either by their behavior in church or their behavior outside of church. And so sadly, churches are charged with the responsibility of affirming godly discipline in the life of the people that attend the local church. Now, this is to be rare, but it is something that happens. And so here, Paul is actually closing the loop because this church extended the correction that was needed to the man. The man repented, and now Paul is saying, forgive him and comfort him. In other words, now that he's repented, don't keep him ostracized from your fellowship. Don't leave him as an excommunicate. Welcome him back into the local body of Christ. Welcome him into communion with the body of Christ and welcome him into celebration of holy communion with the body at large. And so Paul goes on about that previous letter that he was telling them they had to bring correction. In verse 9, he says, I wrote you to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. In other words, he knew he was dealing with a, a young church, and this idea of bringing correction for a sexual sin that they previously thought was just fine, in fact, uh, they thought nothing of it, this was a big deal for them to have to bring correction. And so Paul is saying that he was testing them in part by his instructions. But he continues with this idea of Uh, The man has now repented. The punishment was successful. The church was in the right in extending correction. Now the man should be comforted 
Now the man should be forgiven. Now he should be loved on. And Paul extends his forgiveness as well. In verse 10, he says, Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we're not unaware of his schemes. Now, I just want to unpack that a little bit. I've been a pastor for a number of years, and prior to that, I've been a leader in other churches down through the years, going back to my mid-teen years. And so this idea of Satan outwitting us, what is Paul talking about? He's talking about divisions. You see, in this instance, they brought correction. They had to temporarily put the man out of the fellowship while he repented. And now they're separated from this man. There's a division in the body of Christ, but the man has repented. And so his proper place is back in fellowship with the body of Christ. But Satan continues down through the years to outwit the church of Jesus Christ by bringing division, not always through situations with correction. Usually it's through a situation where someone becomes offended with something that's said or done or some minor doctrinal difference. These are very common things that arise. I assure you that everybody listening in the audience today, if I sat down with you individually and we started in the first chapter of Genesis, we wouldn't go very far before we found something we disagreed on what the Lord's intent was. In other words, there are negotiables in the scriptures that are subject to interpretation. And Satan often uses these disagreements as um, reasons to divide us, to separate us. So. Paul says he's not unaware of Satan's scheme. I want you to be aware that divide and conquer is the number one scheme that Satan uses in the church over and over again. Divide and conquer, divide and conquer, divide and conquer. And the reason he uses it over and over is because it works, sadly. Friends, we should have a very short list of non-negotiables. There are things that are not allowable, but far too often we major on the minors. We need to major on the majors. And the minors, often we need to recognize that there are degrees of interpretation of many different things. So Satan's plan is to outwit us. Satan's plan is to divide us. The Lord's plan is that we might rely on him and make Jesus the central focus of our unity, that we would be one in Christ, just as Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one, we're to be one in them together. Paul goes on to say, God's always makes his grace visible in Christ, who includes us as partners in his endless triumph. Through our yielded lives, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere we go. And this triumphal procession is a picture of a a Roman victory parade where they parade the, uh, the victors leading the captives through the city. And the victors are on parade. And Paul says that we're like that in Christ. We're a triumphal procession used to spread the aroma and the knowledge of him everywhere. We are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ through those who are being saved or among those who are being saved. But to those who are perishing, we're the smell of death. To the one the odor of life to the other, uh, the odor of death. And so the aroma of life, we're sharing the abundant aroma of life today for anyone who will hear. We're not peddling the Word of God for profit. We're sharing the Word of God and the insights of God so that the body of Christ might be equipped. I pray, Lord, that the listeners would be infused with the pleasing aroma of Christ. Lord, that they would be a 
pleasant aroma of the fragrance of life everywhere they go today and every day. Lord, we too, like Paul, have at times been in great distress and anguish of heart. Lord, I pray for those that are in anguish today with many tears that you would comfort them. Lord, any that are estranged from their church families, if it's for due cause, I pray that they would repent and be brought back. If it's for an unjust reason, I pray that the church group would repent and bring the person back. Lord, yet let unity come to your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Whole Word. It was brought to you by Whole Word Fellowship and the Northern Virginia House of Prayer. If you were encouraged, please share our podcast with your friends. We'd also appreciate it if you'd hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app and take a few moments to write a review. If you'd like more information on our church and our ministry, you can go to wholeword.net or wholewordpodcast.com for more information. Thank you again, and may the Lord Jesus bless you today and always.